Welcome to an NFL Draft edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a first-round reaction pod. Dave Gettleman made sure to wear his mask all alone in his home because you can't risk those computer viruses. And with me this week, the three technique to my nose tackle, it's David Newman. Oh my God, kill me. Hey man, here we are. We said it wasn't going to happen, and it happened. Because honestly, it's on brand for the 49ers. I've got my whiskey. I've got Talisker 10. I'm going to feel warm on the inside for my cold, dead heart. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. I need a little warmth. Uh, so it, it is, it's now the evening of round one. Uh, I, I don't know if it's quite done yet, but the Niners, I think, are done picking. So we thought we'd yes, go ahead. Yes, we are officially wrapped in round one. Okay, wonderful. Um, and, and rather than kind of go through each individual player, we've actually already talked about one player on one of the pre-draft pods. We didn't talk too much about Javon Kinlaw, but I thought it would be good to talk about the main takeaways and things we learned from the team after this, uh, after the first round. Because I think that we've learned some things, we've confirmed some other things. If there was any doubt in your mind um, of a couple of things, the Niners have eradicated that doubt. Uh, so let's start right at the top in terms of kind of the big takeaway. And first for me, it's that John Lynch is the one-inch punch master. Like, when it comes to trading down one pick, he's really good at it. <laughs> is, is that a thing that you want to be good at? Is I, that, look, hey, man. Does it work? Hey, if you've got a skill, if you've got a magic power, getting maximum return for trading down one spot is good. I mean, he did it to Ryan Pace with Chicago. He did it again to Tampa Bay. Traded down just one spot from 13 to 14, Got a fourth round pick. If he's going to punch you from an inch away, it's probably going to hurt. Just close distances is where he's at. It's good. It was a really good trade. Solid trade. Traded down, ended up getting the player they were probably going to draft at 13 anyway. And and that's great return on that initial trade down. Yeah, I I think, um, you know, and we'll talk about they, they didn't hang on to that pick for very long. Um, and, and we'll kind of talk about that once we get to Brent Ayuk um, on, on kind of the latter half of that. But yeah, I think, um, you know, moving down one spot and, and getting really anything for that, again, to get the player that you were very likely going to take the entire time, even if you stayed at, at 13, um, yeah, is, is something that they needed, right? They, they didn't have any picks uh, in that rounds, you know, two through four, that was something that I think we expected going into it, that they would try to get some some picks in that range and and give themselves an opportunity to get some kind of more depth type pieces, you know, that you're usually looking for in that area of the draft. Um, and so this was like what we thought what I think was a very good start to that process. It was a very good start. And then you get to pick 14. We are anxiously waiting. We did a live stream on the Patreon. We had, you know, we had people there. We thought at this point, Got CeeDee Lamb available and Jerry Judy available because the Raiders, of course, took rugs. You had some other weird things happen at the top of the draft. I mean, this is falling if you want a wide receiver exactly how you want it to fall. But I think the other big takeaway that I've got is that the the Niners really believe in building their team from the inside out, from building from the trenches. And that's the pick that they decided to use at 14 is really replacing what they felt they lost on the inside. And they did that with Javon Kinlaw, who's next up on the it's time to build your front for the 49ers. Right. So I I think, you know, kind of starting uh, with with the positive way to kind of approach this pick. Right. So I think on one hand, you are 
taking a player that you expect to be. I, I mean, a, a lot of people compared him to, you know, DeForest Buckner type player pre-draft just because of uh, the type of length that you have, which is, I think, kind of more uncommon for a player that that is primarily on the inside like that. And so you you have a guy that fits a similar sort of athletic profile as far as what you're getting from a, a three technique player. Um, and you are, you're getting that same guy for significantly cheaper, right? So Buckner ultimately signs a deal that's paying him over 20 million a year in Indianapolis. And so you're taking that. And I mean, I think, uh, Kinlaw is probably not even going to make that like in the first couple years of his contract, right? His rookie deal is going to be significantly cheaper um, than what you're getting there. And so that strategy in and of itself, right, if you can be, uh, you know, if you can replace talent that, that is going to get paid premier money on the, the open market, replace that with cheap rookie deal type money and get similar level of production, that is typically going to be a strategy that, that's a pretty big win for you. So I think that's kind of the the biggest thing that you look for in, in, in that move and that decision making that is is positive. And the Niners really focus their energy on the interior. I mean, the, look at their picks over the last couple of years. Just for this regime alone, you've got Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster, Mike McGlinchey, Bosa, and now Kinlaw. This is where they are going to spend a lot of their top premier picks. That's where they think they're going to get the value. That's what John Lynch has called the foundational picks. Now, now as a player, Kinlaw's pretty good. He was the second defensive lineman to come off the board after Derek Brown, but he's probably better than Derek Brown. Um, only in part because I think his athletic profile overall is better, but he's the pass rushing version of the interior lineman. And if you're going to pick one of the two interior linemen to grab, that's the one you want to get. You want to get the one that affects the pass game and Javon Kinlaw certainly affects the pass game. Right. Yeah. I think Derek Brown, you look at him as, is kind of more of a, like you're, you're definitely banking on him being kind of a, a run plugger on the inside and, and going to be a positive player in that aspect of the game. But that just doesn't have the same value as a player who can get after the quarterback and, and affect the pass game uh, as as a pass rusher. And I think Kinlaw definitely has an advantage there. I mean, for us, PFF over the last two seasons, he was the highest graded interior defender from a pass rushing perspective, um, you know, really took a pretty big leap. Uh, in his final season there and, and was very productive during this last college season here. And so I think when you combine that with with what is very clearly like a, a high level of athleticism, right? Like I, I think as we started to look at, at Kinlaw and kind of what he does well, that was one of the first things that stood out is he just is physically more imposing than most of the guys that he's going up against. And that's even in, in a conference, right? Like the SEC where he's playing against a lot of guys who are going to, you know, end up playing on, on Sundays and he has the level of competition there that you want. And he just still clearly kind of stood out as, as being athletically superior to a lot of those players. And so I think that's kind of what you're starting with is somebody that has very, very good physical tools, great athleticism, and, and was able to still produce at a high level in college. His go-to move is definitely that bull rush. And what's interesting is that he doesn't seem so refined that he's got a move and a counter like someone like Nick Bosa had last season, where you could tell that he clearly had a plan to attack the lineman that he was attacking. But what what's interesting about Kinlaw is that he has the athleticism to make a move after his first one fails. So oftentimes you'll see him try to maybe go to the outside 
and the defense or the offensive lineman sets appropriately, but then he can come right across that lineman's face really quickly. He's got really good lateral movement and end up getting pressure. He's a really, really high effort guy. You might even say he brings his hard hat to work, uh, doesn't take a snap <laughs> off. And he, I mean, that effort does show on tape. He ends up making a couple yeah. of cleanup plays that you would think to yourself, a lot of players that they're going to not stay in the fight. And he definitely stays in the fight and makes a couple plays as a result. So overall, I think he's a high effort player. It's clear that he has a lot of really good athletic skills. I'd say that uh, at least on tape in college, he looks like a better athlete than DeForest Buckner, uh, even if he is not necessarily as refined in a lot of the techniques that he uses. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key point right now with him, too, is that like, yeah, he isn't. Uh, by any means a finished product, right? When we talked about Bose, and, and obviously they're playing like different positions and, and not trying to like directly compare them by any means, but just like looking at what they bring from a pass rushing standpoint, they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum in a little ways. Like Bosa was a guy that, while certainly not a bad athlete by any stretch, he just was technically beating the shit out of you every single play, right? Was just so refined from that aspect, you know, had such a good plan as a pass rusher, um, is, is able to kind of read sets of the, the, the tackles as he's rushing and, and act appropriately based on kind of what they're allowing him to get. And I, I think when you see, uh, Kinlaw, it's kind of the opposite, right? There's not a whole lot of a plan there. There's not much refinement there in, in his pass rushing moves. He is just a guy that is going to, you know, or at least to this point has been physically better. And and that's going to lead, like you said, a lot of bull rush wins there. Like he, he basically wants to get his hands in your chest and on your shoulder pads there. And he's either going to take that. And if he can get good leverage and get underneath you and drive you right back into the quarterback, or if he can't, yeah, again, like you mentioned, the effort, he's going to continue to just try to work. But it's all it, it's all just like, let me see if I can throw you out of the way, right? There's not a lot of refinement there in, in terms of his hand usage and what he's doing from a pass rush move perspective that is getting him that kind of like second and third effort to try to get to the quarterback. It's just like, OK, I couldn't go straight through. you. Let me see if I can toss you aside and get to you that way type of thing. Yeah, bull rush, extend and shed is something that may make the drinking game for next season uh, for Javon Kinlaw. Uh, he was very adept at pushing people away. And, and he, he plays with really good leverage. His pad level's low. He likes to get under Lyman, put his hand on their shoulder, and push them out of the way. Last thing on Kinlaw is really that his explosiveness off the line is really, really good. It's how he wins in the run game as well. There's one snap we saw against Alabama where he actually starts lined up behind his the rest of his line mates and just after the snap actually engages the lineman before any of the rest of his line mates do so he even though he started further back he's able to close that short area space and make contact really quickly overall i think he's probably uh, you know one of the best if not the best defensive tackle in this draft and the niners i think were very happy to get him where they got him especially after trading down um but i think you have to you have to point out that they did have a crack at Judy Lamb. They did have a crack at the top wide receivers in the draft. They just didn't think that that was where they wanted to spend that capital because they ended up thinking they ended up getting a wide receiver a little bit later. Right. So I, I think, yeah, that's the point to talk about. You know, if, if when you look at the other side of this and kind of look bigger picture with what they're doing to to make the decision to take a player like Kinlaw at this spot, right? It really doesn't have a lot to do, like the downside isn't a lot to do with Kinlaw specifically as a player, right? I think he's, like you mentioned, a very good defensive tackle. He is good at the thing 
matters most, which is rush in the passer. And I think uh, for me, he was of the two top, you know, defensive tackles in this draft with him and Brown is very clearly like the guy that I would have preferred to have. Um, but you do need to look at kind of like how much better is he going to make this team as a whole, right? Like how much is he moving the needle for a team that maybe could have gone else, elsewhere and had some premium options at, at other positions that might have been able to make a bigger impact from them. From a defensive line perspective, um, they're they're very good there, right? Even without DeForest Buckner, and you lose a guy like that who is, again, a very good player. We love DeForest Buckner, not saying that, you know, he's just going to be, we're not going to even notice that he's gone, but you have a ton of other talented players on that defensive line, right? You have Eric Armstead, uh, who can very easily kick down to that three technique in passing situations and, and take up a lot of those snaps that you got from Buckner there. You have still two strong edge rushers in D Ford and Bosa. And so, you know, you're, you're very stacked there and at that position. And so the amount that you can continue to improve at that spot is pretty minimal, right? You've got a lot of guys there. There's a lot, even a lot of rotational pieces that are solid players, guys like Ronald Blair, who can come in and and provide positive snaps for you. And, and so I think there is some concern there where, you know, if other areas of the defense take a step back, you know, if the secondary who took such a huge jump, and I think that was kind of overlooked in their success last year, if they take a bit of a step back and that defense isn't as good, right? Like that, that's going to be something that I don't think that they're really considering there. And, and so I just think, yeah, with some of the options that you have on the board, it, it is questionable to feel like you need to go back to that defensive line well and just say that we're going to invest consistently all of our premium resources in this position like you don't need to trot out a first rounder at every single spot on the d-line in order to have a very good d-line yeah you know i think if i'm putting myself in john lynch's shoes you think to yourself Derek brown is gone you've got kinlaw he must have seen a big drop between kinlaw and someone like jordan elliott uh or the the guy from a&m justin i'm not even going to pronounce his last name um, Mudbuke or something? Like yeah, uh, I, I would say it's Mudbuke or something like that. And so I think, you know, he thinks that the delta probably between the, the defensive tackles when you get to Kinlaw and everyone else is probably a lot bigger than the delta between, say, CeeDee Lamb and maybe even Brandon Ayuk. And while I, I kind of, I can see that logic. I can see that that frame of view. I, I still just think that the while that may be true, the, the better player and your biggest gap is still at wide receiver. Um, and, and you are going to need more resources there than you are going to need on defensive line because you've got ways to manage your defensive line. You, you really, really needed uh, uh, an, offensive, an offensive weapon. And, and luckily, they ended up getting one a little bit later, right? Because when the Niners fall in love, they fall in love hard. And, and they fell in love again with Brandon Ayuk, and they traded up in order to get him. Now, uh, it's easy to fall in love with Brandon Ayuk. I mean, he's got four or five speed timed, but based on his tape, that seems like a lie. He runs faster than four or five. Um, he's got longer arms than Eric Armstead. A one inch shorter wingspan than Calvin Johnson. Is that true? Holy shit. Yes. This, these are all that. true facts. I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. This is, this is actual true facts, <laughs> unlike many of the things you may get on the Better Rivals podcast. He is explosive after the catch he averaged 
almost 10 yards after the catch in college. It's it, He is a, a weapon that is tailor-made for the type of offense that Shanahan wants to run. Get him the ball in space and watch him go. He won on a lot of the same routes that Debo won in college as well, the glance routes, the slant routes. I mean, what, what he is, the comp for him is Pierre Garçon. And you can see exactly why Shanahan drafted, or, or not drafted, but signed Pierre Garçon later because he's like, you know what? Even like 80%, 70% of Pierre Garçon is still a pretty good wide receiver. Um, and that, and you're getting now like early career Pierre Garçon and Brandon Ayuk. It's easy to fall in love with a player like this. Um, I just don't know that the Niners needed to give up resources to get a wide receiver of this caliber at the end of the draft. Right. So I think that's kind of the thing, right? It, it's sort of a, a love the player, hate the process type of, of move here, right? So you're, you're kind of giving up the, the positive thing that you did is in terms of moving down one spot and picking up an extra fourth round pick early in the draft kind of gets undone. Like you, you really were in a position where you needed some of those mid round picks, right? You need those players and to take shots on guys in that second, third, fourth round that can hopefully, I mean, obviously every once in a while you, you hope that one of those guys pans out and becomes a big time contributor for you. But a lot of times those are just your depth players, right? You need to be able to fill in gaps. Like you want to have guys that can step up if you have to deal with injuries or when you're looking, you know, a lot of times the draft, we're not looking just for what happens in this next season, right? You shouldn't be drafting just purely based on what is this guy going to do for us in 2020? You want to be looking a year or two into the future and say like, okay, where do we want to, you know, have guys that can potentially develop over the next couple of years and then be ready to step into a bigger role two, three years in the future, right? And you look at somebody like Kittle, who obviously had a big role early on, but that's kind of gives you an idea of the progression, some of these mid round picks, right? It doesn't necessarily come right away. And so you want to have some of those guys, you give up the, the one pick that you just got in, in exchange to go and get a very specific receiver that you feel like you just had to have when there were probably a lot of other guys in a similar tier from a, a skill set standpoint, right? Like a lot of similar caliber prospects at receiver that were still on the board. And so you're, you're essentially banking that like, look, we found the one in this tier that we think is going to absolutely hit and be the right guy. And and that's where I think teams can kind of get themselves in trouble sometimes is, is that overconfidence and looking at guys in a similar tier, similar prospect level and saying, no, this is the one that we have. We're not really happy with it, all of these guys. I mean, we talked in the pre-draft process about how the the mistake of overconfidence makes you think that you can identify that one guy, but that in reality teams are very poor at differentiating between players within a tier. And there were a lot of players that were bunching in the kind of, you know, middle end of the first round that the Niners may have been able to have a crack at. Uh, and now at the end of the first round, very, very, you know, clearly could have had a crack at. But, and it's not always that, that, that these players pan out, right? Because you can say, well, you know, they, you got to trust Lynch and Shanahan. When they trade up for someone, they must see something that's special. Well, they traded up for a CJ Beathard. They traded up for Ruben Foster. They traded up for Joe Williams uh, or, you know, really fixated on Joe Williams to, to really spend the capital to get them because that's their guy and they must see something. Well, it doesn't always pan out. And, and that's the, kind of the point, right, is that nothing is really guaranteed. And so to, to have that overconfidence and say, nope, I know nothing's guaranteed, but I'm going to go ahead and guarantee this by spending resources there, then, then that process doesn't always consistently yield good results. I, I think that being said, I think Ayuka is still a good player. 
And I'm glad that they that he's now a 49er. When you look at his explosion, when you look at his speed, it's the kind of guy that you want. It's one of those things where you know the the outcome of the player being good might may mask the overall process. When in reality, you take both together and you think to yourself, yeah, good outcome, but not always the best process. And if you repeat that bad process over and over and over again, you're going to end up with bad results more often than you end up with good ones. Right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, looking at it, Ayuk to again, specifically just him as, as a player and what he brings to the table. I mean, I think we both liked him more than a lot of the other guys that were in, you know, expected to kind of go in that range, right? That end of the first round range. Um, when we were looking at a lot of those players, like he was one that definitely stood out to us as well. So it's not that, uh, you know, we think that they're, they're way off on the evaluation part of this by any stretch. And, you know, I think he's a guy that potentially could be very fun in this offense. You know, um, you look at what he can do after the catch and you imagine that with, with guys like Debo and Kittle that are already there. Um, you know, this is an offense that is designed, you know, you're going to trust Shanahan to be able to get guys open and, and get them in space. And you want guys that once they get those opportunities and they make those receptions in, in the intermediate area can turn, you know, the, the 10 to 15 yard throw into the 20 plus 30 plus yard gain, right? Because of what they can do after the catch. And Ayuk absolutely fits that mold. I think he also like, you know, you could look at, at some of the overlap with what Debo brings to the table is, is like a redundancy and maybe look at that as a negative. I actually think that that could potentially be very positive for them and, and not necessarily like tipping what they can do, right? Those sort of things. I think they're both well-rounded players. Not only can they do kind of some of the gadgety type stuff, but they're also still like good route runners. They can work the short intermediate areas. I think Ayuk brings more of a vertical element to the to the table and, than Debo does. So is bringing a little bit something new um, to this wide receiver group. But I think it, it gives you the ability to kind of mask, you know, more what you're doing offensively. If you got Ayuk and Debo on the field at the same time, they can't just key on one of those guys as being the guy that you have to be on alert for as a gadget type player, right? You, you have to, you can bring it from anywhere. Um, and I think that's something that Shanahan we know is going to make the most out of these guys at the skill positions and is going to put them in positive situations. And so I would expect nothing less with Ayuk. And perhaps the most important thing about Brandon Ayuk is that at four years old, he was already rocking a 49ers turtleneck. Uh, so he knew. <laughs> he knew. He knew. And I'm glad that he knew. Uh, because not only Absolutely. is he a, a good wide receiver, I think he will be a good wide receiver, but he's also a psychic. And, and, and that's, <laughs> that's the kind of versatility that we need uh, on the 49ers. We really do. You know, I think final, final takeaway for me is that the, the 49ers really felt like they were the best team in football last year. And I think that they think they lost the Super Bowl because of a random third and long or something or a couple of tip passes. And so I think their approach to putting this team back together and their approach to running it back this year is just that. We just need someone to fill that DeForest Buckner role. We need someone to fill that Emmanuel Sanders role. And all of a sudden... We're going to find ourselves back in the Super Bowl, but this time we're not going to get tip passes. We're not going to get some fluke third and long converted. We're going to do this because we were the best team in the NFL last year, and all we need is those pieces to fall back. Everything else is going to stay the same, and we're going to do it again. And, and their moves in this draft, I think, indicate to me that that's how they felt. 
not just because Shanahan said out loud, I think we were the best team in the NFL last year, but because <laughs> but because I think the they are okay with spending more resources to get the one guy they think is going to replace Emmanuel Sanders and, you know, drafting someone along the defensive interior because you, you just need to get marginally better to get back to where you were on the defensive line. So it's pretty clear that they feel like, you know, that overconfidence doesn't just stretch to trading up and, and identifying players. It stretches to, I know I can run this back. We did it right. And all we need to do is keep it going. Right. And, and I think, yeah, I, I think when you look at how that season went and, and how things ended, especially right, uh, th- there's kind of two ways I think you can you can approach that and, and what you're going to take away from that experience and, and how you're going to apply that to what you want to do for the next season. And I think it one is absolutely what you said. We were the best team. We did it, everything right. And we need to do everything that we can to kind of bring this group back. And, and if we can do that and we can, you know, set up the same sort of environment that we had last year, then, you know, things will, will fall our way. Um, and I think the tough thing and you can absolutely under like understand why they would think that way. Right. And understand why that would be their thought process. But it is a kind of a, a difficult thing to replicate, right? I mean, I, I, we, we see teams struggle to be able to get back, and that's because you need a lot of things to break your way to begin with to get there, right? You need your players to stay healthy, and you need to be, uh, you know, you need to get some seasons where, with some breakout players that maybe you didn't expect, you know, things like uh, the secondary for them last year where you didn't really do anything to kind of improve that group. You just hoped that you would get some development there. And hey, that happened. Pretty much everybody in the secondary that they brought back and, and that were significant players as far as snaps go, like were better in 2019 than they were in 2018. You know, those type of things don't always happen, though. There's a just as good a chance that those players in the secondary fall back to that previous level of performance and they're not quite as good this year. And so it, it is tough when you don't think of that as like, OK, what are some areas that we could have been better? Yes, we think we were very good. Yes, we put together one of the best rosters in the NFL. But where are some areas that we could have been better in that game in the Super Bowl to be able to make that outcome swing our way more often than not? Right. And and I think think they don't seem to approach it that way. They don't seem to think that way. It is very much a let's bring back what we had at all costs. Let's try to replicate the exact same team that we had last year and just hope that it works out. And, you know, maybe it will, um, but, it, but it is definitely a gamble. Yeah, at the end, though, I think the Niners did get two good players. I think that Brandon Ayuk is going to be custom made for this offense and he's going to do some really good explosive. He's just so damn fast. He's so good. He's fun, man. He he's is a lot, lot of fun. fun. And and that's what that's what I'm going to cling to in this draft because I, you know, I I don't think that their process was always the best, but it, it's just so uneven. And so I'm going to choose to cling to the good stuff because you think of, you know, the the trade back, that's great. Drafting a defensive tackle? Well, okay, but at least if you're going to do that, you draft the pass rusher, and I do think Kinlaw's a good player. Um, I, I just hope that he's going to be able to grow with Chris Kasurik and with this defensive line um, and be able to, to get to the passer. I'm, I'm most excited about Ayuk, though. I, I, I don't like that they yeah. traded up to get him, but I'm glad he's a Niner. I think he's going to be a good fit. He's going to be some, he's going to add some juice to the offense, an offense that really needs it, because I, I didn't take away from the Super Bowl that you could just run it back. I took away from the Super Bowl you yep. need weapons to put up points. Because sometimes you're going to go up against yep. one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, 
And no matter how good your defense is and no matter how good your defensive line is, they're going to make plays because he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So you've got to have weapons to make it happen. And I think Brandon Ayuk is one of those weapons. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, again, we, we've talked a lot about with this regime in particular that, um, you know, if, if you pick right, if you get the right players, that can overcome a lot of poor process, right? The, the strategy at the end of the day doesn't matter all that much if you get the right players, right? If, if you happen to be correct uh, in, in your evaluations and you're selecting the right guys and you're getting those players on your roster, then you can that can overcome a lot of flaws and mistake with what your process is doing, right? Because the process is only there to just give you the best chance, right? You're just trying to like maximize your odds. It's not because there's one strategy that's perfect and that's the only way that you can absolutely approach building a team. That's not it at all. You're just trying to, whenever possible, tilt the odds in your favor. Um, but if you do that by picking the right players at every at every point, then, hey, that can do it as well. The thing that you worry about is how long can they keep that up? It's definitely worked out for them so far. Um, are they going to able to continue to have that run? Right. I think you look at a team like uh, Seattle makes uh, is, I think, a good good point here where early on in the, the Pete Carroll regime, like they picked the right players. They, they hit on a large number of their players, um, whether that was in the draft or in the few free agent pickups that they had. And that led to a very good run for them. But now those same guys are there and making decisions and they haven't been hitting on the players as much. Right. And that's kind of what now that that the stuff that is bad in their process is kind of getting highlighted in their, their roster isn't as in good of a shape. So um, that's the worry. That's the potential downside with the Niners. But uh, I agree. I think they got two players, especially with Ayuk, uh, a guy that I am very excited to watch. I think he's going to be a ton of fun in this offense. Um, and yeah, I hope that he brings an, an element and that explosiveness that they, they really need. Well, now the Niners have three picks remaining unless they make some more trades. You've got a fifth round pick, number 156, which is where they're going to get their next All-Pro because that's where they typically draft them. Uh, you've got George Kittle, Dre Greenlaw, yeah. Trent Taylor. Uh, the, the fifth round, DJ Reed, the fifth round has been good to the 49ers. And so getting another fifth round pick is going to be good. Sixth round, pick 210. And then seventh round, pick 217. That is, of course, pending any trades for Brita or Goodwin, which are the most likely players to be moved. Uh, but I can't imagine any one of them netting more than a late round pick. Uh, I think a fifth round pick at best... Uh, but if you can get another fifth round pick, uh, then hey, you know what? Trade them all for a third rounder. See what you see what you get. Roll the dice. Just kidding. Yeah, um, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna see them pick on day two. Friday, I think, is gonna be absent. Um, would be pretty surprising for them to. They they would need to be looking at at giving away like future capital on draft picks to be yeah. able to to pick. Not a not a good idea. Not a good idea. But uh, you know, I think that ultimately we already had a fourth round punter. So there was no reason to keep that fourth round pick. You give oh, it up. I'm fucking done here. You give it up and, and that's that. I think uh, David David's officially done. So let's go ahead and call it. Once we get to the punter talk, David's done. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Thanks to everyone who's st spent some time with us on the Patreon. It was a lot of fun figuring out some of the live stream stuff uh, and reacting to that pick live with everyone. Uh, you can catch some of our scattering reports as well as I think the video from the live reaction on our Patreon, just patreon.com forward slash better rivals. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. As always, go Niners. <laughs>